Hello and welcome. We have a very special episode of Give and Go for you guys today. Thank you guys, as always, for logging in, tuning in, checking out girlssoccernetwork.com. Again, check us out on Instagram at girlssoccernetwork or on Twitter at girlssoccernet. We have a YouTube channel as well. A lot of great content coming, so be sure to check us out there. This is a special episode. We have the first time ever we're going on video and we have a very special guest with us. Samantha Carey from the University of Iowa is here with us to talk about the uh, NCAA tournament, which is about to kick off very shortly. We have 64 teams looking to fulfill their dream of winning a national championship. So I'll hand it over to you, Sam. How are you doing? And please tell us more about yourself. I'm doing great. I'm not going to lie. I am a bit upset that our season this year didn't take us to this tournament. I've been to this tournament twice, both my freshman and my sophomore year. And I know how amazing it is to play in an NCAA tournament. I know what an NCAA victory feels like and NCAA defeat. So I'm so excited to watch these 64 teams compete. I've played against so many of them, either this season or in my past seasons. I'm currently a senior at Iowa. So I've been here for four years and, you know, feeling that high of highs of winning a Big Ten championship and getting to the tournament and getting an at-large bid, it's a remarkable feeling. So I'm so excited to watch these teams duke it out. I think it's going to be a great tournament this year. Absolutely. So coming from the Big Ten, what would you say are some of the strengths of the conference? How well do you think the Big Ten is going to do in this tournament? Yeah, that's a great question. And the Big Ten is deep this year. I think the Big Ten is honestly very undervalued in this tournament. We only got five teams in, and I think that there's more that deserve to be in this tournament right now. We've had teams that perform great, have great scores, but one thing that really just labels the Big Ten is grit. We are a hard conference. We are a physical conference. And, you know, when you stack us up against teams in different conferences, normally that's different. I'll never forget in 2021, that spring COVID year, our second game was against UCLA and it was Iowa against UCLA out in North Carolina. And we unfortunately lost the game, which ended our season that year, but we were winning one zero until about 10 minutes left and they tied it one, one. And with 30 seconds left in the game, they won two to one. And don't get me wrong. They were the better team, but we were the harder team. And I think that's a really big staple in the big 10. So the teams that made it in from the Big Ten, I'm excited to see what they can do. But I'm also upset for teams like Nebraska and Wisconsin because I really think they deserve to be in the tournament this year. Absolutely. And I love that you mentioned grit and determination. I think that defensive-minded philosophy is going to be an interesting matchup for some teams that they may face, the high-powered ACC teams or or Pac-12 teams. The Big Ten really ends up being a great neutralizer for those schools you're like can anybody stop these teams yes the big 10 can so I agree I agree speaking right there on that point looking at this tournament I think you know it's a standard saying defense wins championships offense sells tickets or whatever it is and though I don't really believe in that saying I think defense is going to be the definition of this year's tournament and who's successful mm-hmm. absolutely so let's get into it I think before we get into seating and all the different uh, you know, Final Four predictions and all that great stuff. We heard a bit of rumblings surrounding the University of Portland. Now, they were a team that was ranked in the top 25 th- throughout most of the season. So naturally, they are in the field. But we heard rumblings about their chairman, who is a part of the chairman committee, 
uh, excuse me, the selection committee talking about getting them into the field over other teams from their conference, like a Gonzaga, like a Pepperdine, two teams that actually had great years as well. And the WCC is actually a strong conference boosted by Santa Clara, having won the national championship a couple of years ago. So, you know, this is a big possible story when we've had the NCAA be you know, going back to the Amanda Cromwell situation, there's been a bit of scandal. There have been a bit of issues. What do you make of something like this possibly hap- you know, happening in terms of, of tampering or anything of that nature? Yeah, it's a hard question. And, you know, I really can't speak to anything that happened in the chair- chairman committee. But what I will say is if you look at Portland's record, they have impressive wins. You know, in more recent games, they did lose to Gonzaga on November 5th, but they have a win against number three Pepperdine. They've had very close games. They've had pretty remarkable, you know, beating Nebraska isn't necessarily an easy thing to do, though they didn't make the tournament. You know, they have a Washington State tie. They have a couple really big games. And honestly, one of their biggest wins is a Utah Valley win. Utah Valley has come out of nowhere this year in the WAC conference. And I really think that, you know, I have to give faith to the game. I have to say that though it may not always be the way that we've seen, that somewhere has a better interest because honestly, if I don't, I don't sleep at night. So <laughs> at the end of the day, I hope they perform well. I have faith in them and what they can do. They have had some big losses, but those losses are to teams who are in the tournament like a Santa Clara or a BYU. I think their win against Pepperdine did them a lot, but also they beat Pacific and Pacific's a team we don't talk about a lot, but at Iowa, we actually played them this year. It was a one-to-one tie, but Pacific has beat Santa Clara. So that conference has had so many ups and downs this year. It's been really interesting, and there's not one standout team coming from the WCC. And I think Portland's a strong contender in them. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with you. So I know we're doing a, a bracket battle, but we haven't disagreed so much because I do. Right, yeah. Let's get into this battle though and see where it shapes out. I'll be really upset if we have the same choices. <laughs> right. If we have the same final four, oh my God, that'd be hilarious. No, but I think it'll be different. Yeah. Yeah. I got some upsets I think are happening in this tournament this year. All right. All right. So let's get into it. Let's start there. So what are some possible upsets for you that you see could happen uh, coming up in this tournament? Yeah, that's a good question. And honestly, there's a decent amount. I think the seeding this year, since the NCAA has been able to go back to regional seeding, has really added a layer of intense battles starting in the first round. Like there isn't cakewalks in the first round by any Mm -hmm. means. Mm -hmm. One of my big highlight upsets is right now I have Utah Valley beating BYU. BYU is a Final Four team. Obviously, they've done amazing things in the tournament this year, but I think Utah Valley is a sleeper. They won the WAC. You know, it's a good conference with Grand Canyon and a couple others. They have beat BYU earlier this season, and it was a three to two game. And I think that momentum carries. You know, one thing throughout my journey at Iowa is, you know, there was a year, it was the 2021 COVID year. We finished 13th in our conference. We weren't good, but we, pulled the Cinderella run. We won the big 10 championship. We won the big 10 tournament and got in. And that momentum carried us to winning our first round and carried us to almost upsetting UCLA. So I think Utah Valley has the momentum right now. And I think they're a huge sleeper. I love that pick to be honest with you, not just because of what you mentioned, but the geography. And this is something I also wanted to talk about. Like that's an in-state game, Utah Valley. They're going to want to beat BYU more than anything. And 
there's players, I'm sure of it, who are upset that they didn't get recruited by a school like a BYU. They deserve, they feel like that they're better than them. Is that something that you feel like you've also seen firsthand out on the pitch, like players who know each other from high school, they end up at different schools, you end up at rival schools, and you have a bit of resentment between big school and small school in that way? Do you notice that? That is 100% real. Even okay. in Iowa, and that's what I can contextualize, obviously playing in the state of Iowa, but you know, anytime we play a Drake or a UNI, a team that you might say would be a smaller school, obviously, than the University of Iowa, there's some grit there. There's some people that want to upset you and it goes up, meaning at Iowa, we're a lower school in the Big Ten or perceived as that. I don't really believe that, but there's grit when we play the Penn States and the people that are seated always really high. That resentment, I think, really motivates people. And I mean, myself included, it's motivated me on the field. So I 100, that game is circled on my calendar for sure. Yeah. Oh, man. Utah Valley. All right. What upsets do you have? Do you have what one stands out to you? Hmm. I was very, very tempted to take UC Irvine again (laughs) because I love how the committee was just like, Okay, we gave you UCLA last year. Let's see if you could be USC this year. Like they just didn't. <laughs> they were like here you go, and they did play earlier in the year. It was a close game. USC beat them three to two. So I think that will be an interesting one. I think the upset though that I like the most is probably I don't know how much of an upset you want to call it, but I like. Oh, where is it? I I have my bracket like right in front of me, and I'm like scanning everything. Um, where was it? Arizona State over Portland. <laughs> so I also have Arizona State over Portland. Right. It's funny. We just talked about Portland and, and how much we like them, but I do feel like I, I do remember watching your um piece on top strikers, right? On TikTok that you did for us at GSN. And one of the players mentioned Nicole Douglas, one of the best strikers in the country. Uh, basically she is a large majority of their team. She is going to make up for that. But I just think when you're Arizona state playing in the PAC 12, you're just seeing better competition day in and day out compared to what Portland saw in the WCC. And I think they have a slight advantage there. I like Arizona state. Another one that I do like is also wake forest over South Carolina in the first round. I think again, South Carolina coming off, winning the SEC tournament. They're on a high. They, they, they're going to try to ride that wave, but uh, getting matched up against a tough Wake Forest team out of the ACC that, you know, four of their six losses are against top 10 teams in the country. So it's like, that's a really good team coming to play them. And that's another one that I absolutely love. Uh, So we'll see, we'll see how it goes. What about you? Do you have any, any other shocking upsets on the horizon? I agree. I do have some other ones that I have flagged. One of them being, I think Virginia Tech takes West Virginia. Mm, Looking at this and looking at that, you know, West Virginia is a great team. They obviously just won the Big 12, be upsetting TCU and I mean, a stellar goal that I think the whole world has seen. Mm -hmm. But if you look at Virginia Tech, once again, their losses come to top 10 teams. They've competed with teams like a one nothing loss to Notre Dame is not a bad loss. They've tied Virginia. And I think Virginia Tech in this case, once again, that's not an in-state, but close rivalry between the two. And 
I think the ACC takes the the Big 12 in this one. I think the Big 12 is a solid conference when you have teams like Texas and TCU in it. But once again, the day in and day out competition of the ACC, I think trumps West Virginia in this case. Yeah, that's a hard one for me because we've had um, Coach uh, Nikki Izzo Brown on the podcast before. We've talked about her program before and what they've been building towards. So for me, I I have a little bit of an emotional attachment. I'm like, they're finally in the tournament. They've been doing what we said they were going to do. So that is a tough one. That is a really tough matchup for them in that first round. So you definitely have me worried because Virginia Tech is going to be really, really tough for them to beat. So that's going to be a fun one to watch. All right. Another big upset I have flagged is I have Cal beating Santa Clara. Mm, that was one I have as well. I do because they played, right? Did they not play earlier this year? I believe they played and I believe Cal won. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, I just think the momentum that Cal's faced in the pack, you know, they've tied Stanford. They've had a couple other big time games and big time moments. And Santa Clara is not the team that they have been in the past and they are still you know phenomenal out of the WCC they're always a threat to be reckoned with but I think in this case I think the upset energy I think the ability to you know upset a final four team in this kind of regard I think Cal takes it yeah I agree if Santa Clara was better in the WCC if they handled those teams a little bit better they'd have a higher seed I don't think they'd be worrying about this but yeah Cal I'm with you 110 percent I like that upset a lot perfect all right. So anything in terms of seeding that you saw out there that kind of jumped out at you where you were like, why did the committee do this? You know, there are a couple really interesting cases with seeding this year. First of all, I am happy that Notre Dame got a one seed. I think it's deserved. And I'm sure for a lot of people, it was a bit shocking to see them get a one seed over North Carolina. But I think it's deserved this year. Notre Dame's had a remarkable year and even recently, I mean, they beat Florida State for nothing in South Bend. And then in the ACC semifinal, they tied three to three. They, I mean, obviously, Florida State went through on PKs, but in my book, that's a tie. Mm-hmm. I think they're yeah. seem to be right this year. And I think the respect of giving them a one seed 100% was worthwhile. Mm-hmm. I think the only red flag to me, and listen, I might be biased to this, I'm from St. Louis, but I think SLU getting a two seed was a bit eye opening for me. I know they have a very high RPI, and I'm sure that's why they got the two seed over some other teams that are very competitive this year. But my fear about SLU is their strength of schedule. Mm-hmm. Right. And do you put them on upset alert against Memphis? Now, Memphis went on a bit of a run to win their conference. The, the American Athletic took out UCF and a couple other schools. Do you think Memphis is a big enough school to where they could – give St. Louis some trouble? I absolutely do. I have SLU winning this matchup, but I think it's going to be a very close mass matchup. You know, I think the fan base in St. Louis is going to make it hard for Memphis. They are very much able to get thousands and thousands of fans into that stadium, especially because SLU doesn't have a football team. You know, mm-hmm. I grew up playing with half the SLU team. Um, mm-hmm. There's some really good friends. I played in high school. I played with on high school soccer with one of their star centermans. I have a lot of respect for what they've done as a program. And But on top of that, you know, inside, you know, starting goalkeeper from Memphis is from the same club as all of SLU. So there'll be some in-state mm-hmm. rivalry. There'll be some high moments from stuff like that. And like I said, SLU is a great team. They've had a great year. 
you know, their only loss in the season is to Notre Dame, which, as we just said, deserves some respect and deserves, you know, a lot. Mm-hmm. I just worry that SLU hasn't really played a competitive game at, since their conference play. And really, it hasn't been since they played Notre Dame August 25th. I wonder to me, you know, maybe they beat Memphis, but I have Mississippi State coming in and beating them because I think Mississippi State has played harder teams more frequently and mm. knows what it's like to find out a game. Okay. So Mississippi State in the Sweet 16, St. Louis could be in trouble. Interesting. I love that little tidbit you just gave. Like those are the little things that give like a slight edge, right, to teams like Memphis versus St. Louis. Again, that stuff that we talked about earlier with players having familiarity with each other, that added competitive edge and advantage that Memphis might have. So that's going to be a fun one to watch. I think for me personally, the thing that jumped out to me was Virginia as a three getting matched up with Fairleigh Dickinson, who is eight, 10 and three. If you're eight, 10 and three, how are you getting matched up against the three seed? Like that's a gift to me, like not quite sure what the committee was thinking when like the only other team with a record worse than that is Omaha at seven, eight and six. They're playing Notre Dame. But you look at Florida State getting matched up with Florida Gulf Coast. That's not going to be an easy game. Alabama will probably be Jackson State. No problem. And then UCLA against Northern Arizona, eight, five and six. I'm just very confused as to how like fairly Dickinson should be playing a one seed. Like that was just completely wrong. Like, like Virginia is like, we will take that. Thank you very much. So, and then you look at right above them on that bracket, Tennessee is six gets matched up with Xavier, the second best team in the big East. Like that is not an easy matchup to get in your first game. And if you're sitting there as a nationally seeded team, you're like, how do we get stuck with the team that just barely lost to Georgetown in the big East final? So um, some interesting decisions here. I love how they kind of just did it. Yeah, everything based off of geography, like, oh, you're in the same state, so we'll just put it together, rather than forcing the teams to travel. Like, did you ever have to travel a lot for your tournament games? Yeah, you know, it's really interesting. And I think what the difference is, is like like you just said, we're going back to regional seating. And there's pros of that because you get huge matchups like BYU-Utah Valley. And then there's cons like this. And so for us, my freshman year, when we were an at-large bid, we had the three seed at the time, which was Kansas. And so Iowa to Kansas, about five-hour drive. And to be honest, there was really no one else in the tournament that we were going to play in our region. So that one made sense. That was mm-hmm. a good matchup for where we were. We were an at-large bid. We finished fifth in the Big Ten that year. And it was a good regional divide. The other situation was when we made the NCAA tournament 2021, that's when there was no regional because it was a bubble out in North Carolina. So there was satellite location. So for us and that as the big 10 champions with a very terrible record, but the big 10 champions, we had Campbell university out of North Carolina. So that was a team we never would have had if it wasn't for the lack of regional seating, but I thought it was a fair matchup and we beat Campbell one, nothing. It was a great game. And so I think this is where regional seating has its cons is different matchups like this. And so I think, you know, It'll be interesting to see what the feedback is. And, you know, I think this is where upsets can occur because this is where lower teams might have an advantage because, you know, in Xavier, Tennessee, that's a game I also have flagged. I don't think that's a cakewalk by any means. Yeah. Like even looking at it, like Penn State getting Quinnipiac in the first game, 15-2-1, and 
they dominate. They were a dominant team all year. Like that's a really good team out of the, I believe, NEC conference. So AAC, yeah, the Mid Atlantic. Oh, okay, Mid Atlantic. Okay, sweet. But yeah, no, I agree. And I mean, Quinny Piak has had a phenomenal year. I think the logic behind that one, once again, is strength of schedule. I don't know that Quinnipiac has really played anyone outstanding. But like you said, I mean, Quinnipiac does have the number one goal scorer in the nation right now with Rebecca Cook scoring at least last time I checked 19 goals. So this is where the Big Ten grit comes in. I do have Penn State winning this game. But, you know, she might be able to test some Big Ten defense a little bit. Yeah, that'd be fun. You're right. I, I did not know. Wait, what's her name? Rebecca Cook? Yep. Rebecca Cook. Okay. Wow. 15, 2, and 1. Yeah, that's going to be a fun one to watch. All right, so we've talked about matchup seeding, but now let's get into the other matchups that you're excited to see, possibly in the first round, possibly later on in the bracket. What are some matchups that you'd like um, in this tournament? I think especially once you get to Sweet 16, this is an elite tournament that can go anyone's way. For me, some of my Sweet 16 matchups, I have UCLA-Penn State, which I think can be a battle. I can say that as someone who has played UCLA this year, we played, we went out to California in August and we lost to UCLA 1-0. I mean, it was a great game. Probably could have tied it. You know, we had momentum for a while. But of course, respect to UCLA, I think this is a great game. I have UCLA coming out on top because I think that the strength of UCLA's forwards and people like Ryland Turner and Sunshine Fontes, you know, will pose a threat to a Penn State defense who I recently played. I think October 26th, we tied Penn State one-to-one. So mm-hmm. that's where you experience of being a player in the Big Ten and watching these tournaments. But, I mean, once again, you have forwards like Ali Schlegel, Penelope Hawking. Like, there is some amazing battles both ways. So that's one that I have circled on my calendar. On top of that, I'm looking at Duke, Alabama. I think that game will be elite. Mm. If Alabama, who's on a Cinderella run, a team that a few years ago, frankly, weren't anything in the SEC and now have proven everyone wrong, elite forwards like Felicia Knox and a couple other, you know, insane members of this team going into a Duke, which is like a dynasty. So I think this is, you know, that's a game that, in my opinion, is looking about a shift in women's soccer. You know, mm-hmm. we've always seen the ACC be good. And there's, there's of course, there's respect behind their name. But I think we're starting to see some other teams and some other teams start their own dynasty. And I think that's really exciting. And it's something that we can see happen in this tournament. That's awesome. I, I love how you, you know, want to give the SEC some love. And Alabama, like you said, has been, really came out of left field. When you look at the SEC, it was supposed to be South Carolina, Tennessee, Arkansas, and for Alabama to pass all of them and end up number three in the country, kind of, you're just like, what? And then you look at their roster, and like you said, it's like they have one or two stars, but they're just such a strong team. They And that's, sorry to interrupt you, but that's what matters in an NCAA tournament. As someone who has played in this tournament, superstars, of course, matter. You want to have your leading goal scorer. You want to have the best midfield. But in my experience in college soccer, especially postseason college soccer, because when I'm looking at these teams, I really don't care what anyone did in August Mm because August doesn't matter anymore. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, no one in the country is playing at 100% right now. You have 20 games on your body. You are not able to run the way you were, to tackle the way you were in August. And that's just a fact. Mm -hmm. So what matters at this point is team chemistry. 
It's team unity. What are you fighting for? And that's where I think teams like in Alabama who have had insane runs are going to have the momentum. They have that story behind them. They have that unification and that adversity behind them. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think this tournament is going to get interesting because there's a lot of teams that are fighting together right now versus just having superstar power. Gotcha. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. And I feel like, you know, Alabama is really like that team that has, like you said, yeah, just come out of nowhere. So going back to what you talked about, not not putting too much stock into August, having played UCLA back then. When you saw them, did you feel like at that time they were the number one team or do you feel like they like, yeah, do you believe in them the same way that from having seen Penn State, like, you know what Penn State's about, you've seen them way more often, having seen UCLA, they were the number one team essentially all year. Do you feel that like they were the number one team when you played them? You know, this is a great question and I'll be the first to admit UCLA also did not start their bench when they played us or start their full roster. There's typical starting mm-hmm. lineup. Okay. On top of that, star forward Ryland Turner, who we did play in the NCAA tournament back in 2021 when we played UCLA, wasn't playing when we played them. Mm. And I believe early in August meant that they had some players out with the U20 Mexican national team. Mm. So there are factors there that the full UCLA team was not there when Iowa traveled out to LA this year. Mm-hmm. That being said, The thing that, in my opinion, can beat UCLA is coming out hard. As a team who has lost to UCLA twice, but has been in two very close competitions with UCLA, it's been because we know we're not better than UCLA. Like, technically, Mm -hmm. they're a phenomenal passing team. They know how to dribble. They like taking people in the drive. But if you can come in and you can hit hard and you're united as a group, that's a strong presence against UCLA. However, I think they've built upon that in watching UCLA in recent games and seeing what they've done in the Pac-12 gives me hope in them in this tournament. I think the UCLA in August is not the UCLA that's here now. And I think the UCLA here that's now has a strong potential of taking this tournament. Yeah, I think that's what, like you said, that matchup with Penn State is so huge because if it happens, right, Penn State could potentially take on Virginia I also, I'm assuming we both have Penn State beating Virginia because of that defensive toughness that we talked about. And also, but this is the first time I feel like in Penn State's period of, of dominance that they've been able to add the attacking options like a Penelope Hawking to complement their defense as well. So I think that makes them a very interesting uh, matchup for UCLA because that is, if they are going to get clipped anywhere, that is probably the spot where they do. Clemson also poses possible problems for them in the second round but yeah I think that I disagree with you there I had to go with my big 10 and I have Northwestern beating Clemson oh okay okay I'll get into this one a bit I'll get into this one a bit but I have Northwestern you know I've played Northwestern this year and once again Northwestern is a team that I put on a level like an Alabama they came out of nowhere the last two years I'm pretty sure they didn't even make the big 10 tournament So going from that to having this season that they've had, they're in that Cinderella moment. They're in that momentum run. And though they lost in the Big Ten semifinals, they lost to Penn State. It's not like they were playing Joe Schmo. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I have respect on Northwestern. Northwestern beat Rutgers in the first round of the NCAA tournament. They beat Mm -hmm. Rutgers on the season. Um, They obviously finished second in the Big Ten. And honestly, the main reason they finished second in the Big Ten is because they lost us. So that was one of the yeah, nice. <laughs> But 
with that being said, looking at Clemson's schedule and looking at Northwestern and knowing Northwestern strength, North, <clears throat> Northwestern is diverse. They have a very strong back line. They play in a unique formation. They play in a 3-6-1, which oh. is different, you know, yeah, but really. different to come out against. And if you're not used to it, you're not prepared for it. You know, I definitely believe that Clemson will have a great scout team, but if it's something you're not used to. A 3 Whoa. So, yeah. Six midfield. So it's not <laughs> so even like back with a box in the midfield to like, you know, both midfielders going back and forth that wide and the one up top. Wow. It's something that they've adapted and that's worked really well for them. And it was hard to play against. We counteracted that by also playing in a three, six, one. It worked out in our favor, but it was a great game down in Evanston playing down there. And once again, I just think that's a team that has something that they're fighting for right now. They're fighting to get back to a Northwestern that won a Big Ten championship in, you know, it's 17 or 18, something along those lines. And they're getting back up there. I think they're also going to have resentment being the team that they have been and they did not win either Big Ten title. And I think coming off of that with that grit and that Midwest, you know, thing. Also, looking at geography, you know, Northwestern Clemson, that's a game that potentially I mean, I'm not sure necessarily where it'll be hosted right now, but if it's in a Midwest location, Northwestern plays on turf on Lake Michigan. That is a cold place to play. I'm not saying it'll be at Northwestern, but I'm saying that they will, they are used to the elements where maybe a team over in South Carolina isn't. Is not. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think, I think you might've just convinced me because Northwestern also has that win over Stanford in the yep. non-conference as well. So that really tells you just how good this team is. So when you look at the quality of wins, I think you're right. I think Clemson might actually be in trouble. I might have to make some make some adjustments before the brackets lock because that would actually <laughs> make... That's the whole point of a bracket battle. Come on. Right. No, I can't change. No, you're right. I can't change it now. I can't change it. No, it's not. It's locked in. It's locked in. <laughs> but Northwestern sports to me. So when I think of conferences, I think every conference has its own identity. As we've talked about, Big Ten is gritty. Mm-hmm. ACC is technical, and along with the Pac-12, both of them are I would classify as your very technical, pretty soccer players. Mm-hmm. And I think SEC is more of a physical. You know, I'm going to be faster and stronger. And you know, every conference lies somewhere on that spectrum, in my opinion. But Northwestern is interesting because Northwestern is what I would declare a pretty Big Ten team. So I think of them, I think of Penn State, I think of a Wisconsin for like a dynasty that has that technical ability as a Big Ten team. So I think Northwestern's forwards, they're speedy, they're technical. As a defender in the Big Ten, I can account for that. I had to mark them. But their (laughs) backs have that physical grittiness. And so that's why I think Northwestern over Clemson. Okay. Nice. All right. So... We've gone over upsets, matchups that we like before we get into, you know, final four picks and national champion picks. I want one dark horse team. So let's define that as a team that is seated fourth or lower who you feel that we're not talking about, that no one's talking about, because we always give respect to the top two seeds in every region. Usually they're like the chalky favorites that we like to pick. Who is one school? like a Santa Clara or like a when Penn state did break through in the, who do you feel like is going to shock us in this, in this field? Mm -hmm. That is a great question. And I have a couple that stand out to me. This is going to be a hard battle, 
But I think my one that we aren't talking about enough is Mississippi State in the Sweet 16. Okay. I think Mississippi State versus New Mexico State, Mississippi State takes that. And like I said, they're going to go into, and I really think Mississippi State upsets SLU. I haven't played against Mississippi State this year. I'll be the first to admit it. But we did play Mississippi State last year. And they bring that SEC spunk. They have that athleticism. They have a freshman um, who has scored a lot of goals. And they have a dynamic offense. And, you know, looking at like a slew, they've scored a lot of goals on a lot of people. But has their backline been tested as much as it needs to be going into this big tournament? And I think that's always been one of SLU's, you know, worries going into an NCAA tournament is their strength of schedule and their conference play. So I think Mississippi State and on top of that, Mississippi State was undefeated in the SEC for a very long time and has big wins against like a 2-0 win against Arkansas. Yeah. And so I think I think taking them in going into the Sweet 16 and then going into another Mississippi State-Arkansas matchup could be really interesting. Yeah, I think what you mentioned in terms of the athleticism aspect of it, I think that will absolutely pose problems for a St. Louis team. They haven't seen anything remotely close to that. Like you mentioned, the strength of schedule might be an issue there. I think that's a great pick. Um, For me, let's see here. I would say the team that no one is talking about, um, I actually really like TCU. I think... TCU is a team that is incredibly experienced deep. Messia Bright is one of the best players in the country that doesn't get enough respect for me. And I just feel like they have been building towards this as a program. If West Virginia doesn't beat them, I mean, they're the resounding best team in the Big 12, still only seated fifth. And I think they're going to have a really great opportunity if they can get past Michigan State to beat Notre Dame. I know it sounds crazy to me, to, to a lot of people, I'm sure, but like I really like this TCU team. I feel like what they bring in attack is something that not a lot of schools have seen. So I like Messi Bright especially. I think TCU is a team to really keep an eye on. Maybe also Harvard is another one who I like a lot. Um, I think they can get to a sweet 16, uh, assuming because I have Wake beating South Carolina. But even if Harvard takes on South Carolina, I still like them in that matchup. I think they've got Hannah Baber, one of the better midfielders in the nation and another, you know, probably future United States women's national team player in their ranks. So I think Harvard is another team to keep an eye on that we are not talking about. So that's interesting. We have Harvard, we have TCU, and we have Mississippi State. Is there anyone else on your radar who you think might be able to make some noise? Those are my big ones, but I also just want to say I agree with you. I also have Harvard. I have uh, South Carolina beating Wake Forest, but then I have Harvard beating South Carolina. I think they are a team that isn't talked about enough. Um, The Ivy doesn't get a ton of respect when you put them versus a Power Five conference, let's just say. But Harvard has proven time and time again that they are a team that's here to compete. Going back to what you said, I will say a game that is 100% circled on my calendar is Michigan State versus TCU. Mm -hmm. Being in the Big Ten, one of my things I will humble brag about is Michigan State finished 9-0-1 in the Big Ten, and we gave them that one. We had a (laughs) 0-0 tie up in East Lansing. It was a great game. Michigan State and Iowa, we always have a great game, and it's a great competitive atmosphere, but I think TCU-Michigan State could be an electric game. 
TCU has played two Big Ten teams this year. They've played Minnesota and they've played Wisconsin, two teams that play a lot like Michigan State. Um, that was, like I said, in August. And I don't give a ton of value what happens in August. But Michigan State is riding up high right now. Being able to win their first ever Big Ten regular season championship was huge for them, mm-hmm. as it should be. I mean, they have a great dynamic offense. They have uh, center mid and Lauren DeBow, who has had banger after banger in the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. You have Cameron Evans, and then you have All-American goalie behind, goalie behind you, Lauren Kozel, who is a phenomenal keeper. But like, like you said, I also have TC, TCU coming in, and I have TCU upsetting Michigan State. I think that'll be a game that's electric and energetic, but I I think TCU comes in and builds that dynasty in the big 12. Yeah, I agree. Cause it's just like, yeah, they've been building. I think that little extra bit of tournament experience also plays a factor. I think it's, it is, it is a great year for Michigan state, but the fact that they haven't been here often enough, I think will end up being what gets them in the end. So yeah, that is going to be a great one. I love looking at brackets and just, playing with all the different matchups it's it's the best and i know you're doing the same so this is this has been really great it's been so much fun all right let's keep going um let's see so what i'm thinking we do is we started our sweet 16s we'll see how similar they are and kind of work our way down to the final four national champion kind of route and see who we have how does that sound all right so let's start with you. Who do you have in your Sweet 16 and kind of talk us through all the way through down to your national champ? All right. So starting off with Sweet 16 battles, my first one, I have Florida State Georgetown. I think Florida State, obviously, ACC tournament champs, been a dynasty for a long time versus Georgetown, who has clearly proven to be a very solid defensive team. I think that's a great battle, but I have Florida State taking it. Down to my next Sweet 16 in that bracket in that division, I have Arkansas, Mississippi State. This one was hard for me. I think the SEC battle in it alone is going to bring a lot of energy and sparks to that game. But my thought here is Mississippi State did upset Arkansas earlier this season, so I think Arkansas is coming back for revenge. I think what you just hit on in tournament experience alone, Arkansas has more of that. They've played in these larger games more often. So I have Arkansas beating Mississippi State. And then in a elite eight round between Florida State and Arkansas, I have Florida State winning and going to the final four. Going down to a lower bracket, for me, this bracket, this division is the tough one, in my opinion. Not that they're all not hard, not that it's not all great teams, but this is a tough division to be in. For me, in my Sweet 16, I have a UNC-Stanford matchup. Sounds like a matchup of dynasties for the ages, to be honest. Um, But with that, I have UNC coming out on top. Then in my lower division, I have TCU Notre Dame. And then in my elite eight, I have UNC Notre Dame. Now, this one I looked at for Mm. a long time, trying to figure out my votes at. And UNC and Notre Dame have not played each other this year. So I think that brings another element of an ACC Mm. team that you don't play because you have those a couple by games. Mm. But I'm given the momentum this one. I'm given the number one seed. I'm giving it to Notre Dame and Notre Dame going to the final four. Okay. Wow. That's a big one. Mm -hmm. Going up to my other top division, looking down from my sweet 16, I have Alabama versus USC, you know, going down from the SEC over to the Pac-12. I think it's two very different styles of plays, but with that in favor, I think it goes to Alabama. I don't think USC is ready for the SEC athleticism, the SEC Mm -hmm. grit and toughness that they can bring. You know, they're used to a very different style of soccer out in the Pac-12. And I think Alabama rides their momentum and gets into the Elite Eight. 
And then my other sweet 16 matchup in that is Harvard Duke. This one I looked at for a long time, but as we've touched on, I think in these games, especially this is where tournament experience comes into play and teams that, you know, maybe have even been saving some of their players, not giving them as many minutes in August and September because they knew and they expected to be here in November. So I have an Alabama Duke elite eight, but I have Alabama with their momentum upsetting Duke and going to the final four. Okay. All right. Yes. This is a fun, you got a fun final four. I love this. All right. I got going. a fun final four. <laughs> yeah. On top of that. So then my other, my final sweet 16 matchups, I have a Penn state versus Virginia. I think this game can be electric. There's so many different facets that could come to this game. And I mean, it's two teams that aren't unfamiliar with each other. They've definitely played each other before, but I have Penn state winning this one as we've talked about. And then I have a Northwestern UCLA matchup. You know, and being a team that has played both Northwestern and UCLA this year, I looked at this one for a while mm-hmm. and I have UCLA beating Northwestern and then heading directly into another Big Ten team. But UCLA coming through on top of Penn State into the final four. OK, so that means you have Florida State, Notre Dame, Alabama, UCLA. OK, and my championship game out of those, I have a Notre Dame versus UCLA final four. I think Notre Dame on this one, you know, it's going to be electric this game. There's no doubt. But if you look, Notre Dame has upset Florida State for nothing down in South Bend, which was a crazy win for them. Mm. And when you look at superstars like Corbin Albert, Olivia Wingate, a couple other people that the Notre Dame roster has, they have the excitement right now. On top of that, this is a rematch of the ACC semifinal. And like I said, I deem this a 3-3 tie. It, obviously, Florida State advanced on PKs, but – that was an electric game that was led by a Corbin Albert hat trick. So clearly Florida State couldn't mark Corbin Albert. And if they do, <laughs> Notre Dame has other threats. So right. in my opinion, I have Notre Dame versus UCLA in the national championship. All right. UCLA, Notre Dame. And who is your national champion? As much as this is crazy to say, I have UCLA winning my national championship. So almost handing them a tie or a loss at home in the season opener. We were close. I've liked the team that they've grown to become. I think they have the tournament experience over Notre Dame playing in games like this. And I think that, like I said, I said it earlier, defense is going to win this championship. You have scoring machines on both these teams. So you have UCLA mm-hmm. with Ryla Turner, Sunshine Fontes, Allie Cook, a couple other phenomenal goal scorers. And then you have Olivia Wingate, Corbin Albert on the other side. I think whatever team can stop the superstars is going to be the team that wins. All right. So UCLA, the UCLA Bruins national champions. I do want to go back to Notre Dame. I do like them a lot. I feel like this is their, like if they're going to win it all, this is their year getting some other key transfers. Like you said, plus all the graduate seniors that they have, it's the most experienced they're ever going to be the best team that they're going to have probably for quite some time to be able to compete with the teams in the ACC that they've been able to compete with. So if they get to the final, that would be amazing. It would be an amazing story. I kind of hope it does happen, but I do have some differences between what you had in the Sweet 16 and what I have. Not too many. Um, Well, here we go. All right. So first off, starting at the, on the top left, Florida state, I have them taking on Pitt instead of Georgetown. So there's, uh, one difference right there. I like Pitt a lot. I just think, again, ACC advantage. Georgetown has consistently been in this position. They have dominated the Big East, but they just don't have enough in that conference 
to really test them and say, hey, we're going to be able to go on a deep run. They did go on an Elite Eight run a couple of years ago when they were a top two regional seed, but that was, again, one of the best teams that they've had probably in school history, and this team is not that. So I like Pitt to beat them. Florida State-Pitt matchup, again, in the ACC, Florida State is just, I mean, I can't even what Brian Penske has done taking over. Now, a lot of people will talk, I'm sure, and say they're Mark Gregorian's players still, but you still have to come in and make it work. He has done an incredible job. Jenna Nyswanger, who we've had on the podcast before multiple times, has finally got her position changed to that central attacking midfield spot, and it has just unlocked everything. She scored twice in the ACC tournament. Florida State came back from behind to beat North Carolina because of her. They're just... They're, when talking to them, they're like, we treat ourselves as if we are a professional team. And I think that mentality gives them such an edge over some of the other teams here in this field, Pitt being one of them. So I like Florida State to get to the Elite Eight. And then I agreed with you on Arkansas. I don't think whether it's whether it's Mississippi State or St. Louis, Anapodil has been waiting for this. The Arkansas has been waiting for this. They haven't been able to win the SEC in spite of coming so close on so many occasions. They have to put a run together. They really have to get to an Elite Eight if, to really solidify some of the success if they want to go to the upper echelons in the SEC. So I have Florida State, Arkansas. Here's where I have the upset. I have Stanford beating North Carolina. Um, to me, this Stanford team, when you talk, you've talked about them having a story, their purpose, what are they playing for? I said this at the beginning of the year, the unfortunate and tragic situation that happened with Katie Meyer. Like, they're no one is more motivated than Stanford right now. And you can see it in the way that they've played, the way that they've gone about this season. North Carolina, it's been more than a decade. It's We're coming up on a decade since their last national championship. I really believe that, like, Stanford and Florida State, having been the dominant programs of this decade, I like Stanford a lot in that game. So I have Stanford beating North Carolina. And even though we talked about TCU earlier being a dark horse, I do have Notre Dame beating them. They are too deep of a team. Uh, and unless TCU outscores them, I don't I don't see that happening. So Stanford, Notre Dame in the elite on that side. Um, I have Florida State beating Arkansas. Um, as much as I would love to pick Arkansas in an upset, hard to see Florida State losing that game. We have Notre Dame, Stanford, and again, I went, I went all in on Stanford because I'm like they're not getting this far without. You know, I really feel like they're going to get to another Final Four. Uh, no one's talking about them as much as everyone else is. And again, to take out two one seeds is going to be a big ask, or not two one seeds, excuse me, a one seed and a two seed. Notre Dame and North Carolina, both champions, like kings of the queens of the ACC. Like, yeah, I still got to go with Stanford, though. I really believe in Maya Doms and, and everything that that team has been doing this year. So Florida State, Stanford, one side of the final four bracket. And then on the other side, I actually went against Alabama. Um, I like what USC is doing this year. Uh, you know, they have the former UCLA assistant who came in after Kide McAlpine left for Georgia. So you have USC in a bit of a transition, but they've still gotten the job done, beat UCLA in the in the Pac-12 tournament. They're high in confidence. Having to go through Rutgers and Alabama, um, that is going to be a tough, tough matchup, but I like them against Alabama. And then, so I have USC taking on Duke. 
um, because we had we both have Harvard, which we both like, Duke beating Harvard. So USC Duke Elite Eight there, and then also agreed on Penn State beating Virginia and UCLA getting there. That matchup we like a lot. Uh, so for me, I had UCLA beating Penn State because, again, best team all year. Very hard to pick against them. And then USC Duke, this was a tough one for me. I ended up going, I think there is going to be at least, you know, one to two ACC teams in this final four. So I'm going with Duke. I think Michelle Cooper is just special. And I think, I mean, it is Michelle Cooper versus Croy Bethune, two of the best players in the country. That's going to be an incredible matchup in general. I edge out Duke, though, because I think the ACC was slightly stronger. So my final four is Florida State, Stanford, Duke, UCLA. Thoughts? I only agree on 50% of them, so this should be interesting. <laughs> All right, so we're only 50%. All right. But it, the funny thing is we do agree on the national champion. I have UCLA beating Duke. Um, I do have Stanford getting all the way to the national championship game and losing in heartbreaking fashion. I just feel like the Pac-12 national championship would be elite. That would be a crazy national championship. Right. Like what a story that would be, what it would be for the Pac-12, Stanford, UCLA. I feel like they have been two of this really strong, quiet, like teams that no one is really, even though UCLA has been number one, no one I think views them as like that elite team. Everyone's thinking Florida state's going to do it again. So yeah, I think it's going to be an amazing, amazing tournament. Uh, we have what Friday, the game start. Yep. Oh man. Friday. We are kicking things off. I cannot wait. Um, all right. I think we are approaching the end of what has been an amazing time with you, Sam. Let's get into some of uh, the other stuff that we wanted to talk about. So the United Soccer Coaches Convention is coming up uh, in Philly this year, right? I believe January 11th to the 14th. Uh, do you want to tell everyone more about what some of the things we might be doing out there? Yeah, there's so much excitement going out there. And I'm so pumped because both me and Rotas will be out there. We'll be flying to Philly from our various locations, representing Girls Soccer Network. And there's so much excitement, whether it's going to be interviewing different people, getting different people's takes. Ourselves, Girls Soccer Network, will be presenting at the conference, myself alongside our leader in force, Jen Gruskoff. And there's so much to talk about, so much exciting things happening within Girls Soccer Network, things to publicize. And I think it's going to be a great time. I'm excited to meet you in person, have some quality time together. And I think we're both going to be geeking out of this convention. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. I cannot wait. You're absolutely right. Everyone be sure to mark your calendars around January. And then I would say probably a couple weeks at, towards end of January, we're going to have a ton of content coming out around based around the convention, based on everything that we get. Um, another really important announcement, Sam has been doing a great job you know, putting out so much amazing content for us at GSN. She also has a new podcast coming uh, with us, which we're super excited about because I've been doing this for quite some time on this side. And the fact that we get to expand and touch on something completely different that is also so important, you know, is really, really awesome for us. We're super excited. So Sam, tell us more about what you're going to be doing. I have loved my time working with Girls Soccer Network. I've started working with this organization back in February. So it's almost coming up on a year, which is crazy. 
But one thing that this has made me recognize is that there is a platform to share stories. And I love everything that GSN and Rotas has done with Give and Go and the incredible news and attention that it brings to women's soccer. But as a current soccer player, as a college soccer player, there's a story behind the game that we're not talking about. There's stuff as athletes that we don't like to have advertised, that we don't feel we have a platform to have advertised. And that honestly has been shunned about being advertised. And I think it's time for that momentum to change. So I'm so excited. In the coming weeks, we'll be launching our first episode of Flipping the Field by Girls Soccer Network, where I will get on the phone with various people from pros to college players to youth soccer players and talking about the story of the game that, you know, it's the real stories. It's the vulnerable stories. It's the stories of missing the game winning PK, the stories of overcoming adversity, mental health, you know, dealing with situations you don't want to be dealing with, whether that's teammates, coaches, parents, how to navigate this world of soccer, because it's not as simple as it looks. And there's so many different ins and outs, whether you're a youth player, a college player, an inspiring pro, all those different things. So I'm so excited to bring light and to bring a voice to people who have a story to share that goes way more than on the field and flipping the field will be starting soon. That is so awesome. Thank you so much, Sam, for, for letting us all know about that. It is absolutely like we need to prioritize it more than anything. Everyone is always going through something that they're hiding from, from the rest of the world. Everyone has got something or the other that is on their mind that they can't get off their chest or they can't say, or they're dealing with something in some way or the other. So for you to be doing that with so many athletes, because there's hundreds of hundreds of thousands at different levels. So for you to be doing this, it's really awesome. And we're so excited. So thank you so much, Sam. We can't wait. I'm so excited. I'm so excited to bring this attention and to have the platform with Girls Soccer Network that lets me do all these incredible things and, you know, help inspire the next generation of college soccer players. Awesome. Great stuff. So I think, you know, we went on for quite some time. This was great stuff. We've got some great content coming for you guys soon. And so whether it's video, audio, be sure to keep it locked with us at Girls Soccer Network. Again, we are super excited to bring this to you. It will be out soon so keep an eye out for it sam again thank you so much for joining me we definitely have to do this again soon this was great sounds good and you better know that you're gonna lose this bracket battle because <laughs> <my bracket laughs> yeah yeah we gotta keep score that's the other thing we gotta keep score see how it goes i'm gonna have the red pen ready having to x out all my picks after the first weekend because it's gonna go terribly i already i'm already seeing how it's gonna go so yeah, <laughs> it's gonna be a ton of fun i'm looking forward to it <laughs> awesome all right we'll take care sam and we will talk soon sounds good all right